Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. ...that we're in about growth is really all about that. It's being in that place, trusting God that we won't sink. And today, our focus is around challenging our, or facing our challenges and conquering our fears. And I thought, well, this might be a really short sermon because I don't know anybody that has any challenges or fears here. Is, is that... Uh, maybe maybe we do need this message. I know I do. And I do want to start off adding on to what Wendy had shared about, about Russ. We do have some other concerns that have been brought forward. Laura, this week with a medical procedure, please keep Laura in your prayers, specifically on Thursday, but constantly, of course, as we do for each other. And then for Anjanelle and her family, they have experienced four losses in just the last couple of weeks, family and friends. And that's just almost too much to take, isn't it? It's powerful, and yet she's here serving us today. And so please be with their family as well. And let's just lift those concerns up in prayer right now. Father God, we thank you that you hear us when we come to you. You hear all of our concerns, those spoken and those unspoken. And so, Father, right now, for the concerns that have been mentioned and for those that are circling in our brains and our hearts as we come to you individually and corporately as this group, Lord, hear our prayer. Father, respond with your loving kindness and your healing touch. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to continue to see what it means and how we can face these challenges and conquer our fears so that we can be strolling on the water, sinking no longer. We're going to continue on in the uh, video series that we've had from pastor and author John Ortberg and his series called, If You Want to Walk on the Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat, that familiar story. And today, really, it is all about the fourth of the sixth week is all about facing our challenges and conquering those fears. So let's see what John and the group have to say. been talking about what does it mean to actually get out of the boat and uh, really trust God. And it would be a nice thing if anytime somebody got out of the boat and started walking on the water, everything went smoothly. Be wonderful if anytime you trusted God and did something that made you a little scared or uncomfortable, it went great. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. There's a great book by Stephen Ambrose called Undaunted Courage. And it's the story of the Lewis and Clark expedition. After they had been traveling for about two years and faced fatigue, exhaustion, starvation, they thought when they came to the headwaters of the Missouri that the worst was behind them. And so they settled in camp, and Meriwether Lewis went off over the bluffs to look for what he thought was going to be the beginnings of the Columbia River. They thought they could portage for half a day and go home. 
Well, he climbed over the bluffs, and there he became the first non-Native American to see the Rocky Mountains. They had no idea that not only were they not done with the trip yet, they still had their biggest obstacle to go over. So what do you do when you've gotten out of the boat, you've gone on this big adventure, you've trusted God, and then you find out your biggest obstacles are before you? Now, this is one of the things that happens to Peter. Peter gets out of the boat, he trusts Jesus, he begins to walk on the water. Then the text says something very interesting. Peter noticed the wind. He realized there's a storm going on all around him and he got scared. And I want to create kind of a picture of this. So Amy, I'm going to ask if you would to uh, come on up and sit down right over here. Here's what happens to Peter. The Bible says he gets out of the boat, he's walking towards Jesus. For a while, everything's going great. And then he noticed the wind. Okay? So, this is the wind. Okay? So I want you to look at Amy for a moment. <laughs> Notice how she's teeming with life and excitement. Amy, if you were to stay here for the rest of the session, do you think it'd be a little distracting? <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna deliver you from the wind. Now, this is what happens to everybody who trusts God. At some point along the line, they say, all right, God, I'm gonna do a difficult thing. I'm gonna step out in faith, and they do. But then they notice what Peter noticed, that it's not all real smooth, that there is a storm going on in this world, that there are obstacles that they're gonna face. This is where things get very interesting. There have been uh, multiple studies done in a field that involves what's called resilience. And researchers have looked at prisoners in the Korean War who went through brainwashing and people that have gone through very traumatic events. Here's what they find. People tend to respond to trauma, to great suffering in one of two ways. A lot of people just get defeated by it. They become kind of paralyzed and it really destroys them. But there's a subset of people who not only can survive trauma, they actually emerge stronger. Something happens inside their heart and their character, and they actually get tougher. Their faith and their courage grows deeper. And there have been uh, a few primary characteristics that have been identified in resilient people. One of them is, these are people who seek to take control. When something difficult happens to them, they try to take action instead of just seeing themselves as victims. Another one is these are people that have a real deep commitment to their values. And no matter how high the pain level gets in their lives, they will not betray their values. And a third factor that makes people really resilient is they find meaning in their suffering. Something inside them says, this is not happening for no reason at all. Now, there's a classic example of somebody like this in the Bible, and his name was Joseph. Uh, some of you might remember the story of Joseph if you went to church, if you went to Sunday school class, because he wore a special coat. Anybody remember what that coat was always called? A coat of many colors. And Scott, I noticed that you have a kind of towel of many colors. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, I know you're kind of a shy person yeah, by nature, but if you don't mind, I think we'd all love it if you would be a stand-in for Joseph so we could consider Joseph's experience. Oh, yeah. Scott, come on. Oh, you may remember this story. Joseph's one of 12 brothers, and he has these dreams where uh, his sheaf is higher than anybody else's in the field. That stands for their brothers, and they all bow down to him. 
And uh, they all are not real nuts about this. There's kind of indications in the story that Joseph, although he was a great guy, initially may have been lacking a little bit in sensitivity towards his brothers. And they get real jealous because his father gave him this wonderful towel that he got from Nordstrom's. So I'm going to drape this around our Joseph. And he wore this all the time. And it was a reminder of how much his dad loved him. And every time his brothers saw it, they were reminded. So they came up with a plan. They decided, initially they thought that they might kill him. And then one of them said, no, we're not going to do that. So they decided that they would cover his coat with uh, kind of fake Joseph blood. And we have a very expensive prop here, just to, don't move. No, I won't. Yeah, okay. Um, this is fun. Yep. <laughs> okay. So he's covered with blood. Uh, some of it might even have gotten on him, but for the most part, it's just on the coat of many colors. They tell their father that their brother has been killed, and he is sold into slavery. Now, Scott, if that were to happen to you, yeah. if you were sold into slavery, how do you think you might feel? I'd feel pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> I'd feel bad about it. I want to talk a little bit about Joseph's response, but because I don't want for Scott to have to sit here covered with blood, I think we ought to release him back to seat. Can we all thank Scott for being Joseph for a while? Anybody know what's the number one most frequently given command in Scripture? The most frequent command is not to be loving, even though love is real central. Most frequent command is not about avoiding immorality of different types. The most often repeated command that God gives in the Bible is, don't be afraid. Now, why does that happen? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because over and over again in the Bible, God asks somebody to trust Him. God asks somebody to respond in obedience. And the number one barrier that people experience that keeps them from acting in obedience to God is they're afraid. Joseph ends up in the home of a man named Potiphar. And soon he's running an entire business operation. And his life looks like it's going pretty well until Mrs. Potiphar decides that she would like to be sexually involved with Joseph. And he faces another test of his resiliency. It's a very interesting thing. Another thing that very often happens to people when life doesn't turn out the way they planned is they become much more vulnerable to temptation because they feel disappointed that things didn't work out the way they wanted them to. So they say to themselves, why not just grab whatever pleasure that I can? Well, one of the tests of a resilient person is they say, I have such a deep commitment to my values that I will not betray them. And that's what Joseph does. Uh, you'd think that God would reward him for that. But instead of getting rewarded, instead of his life getting real smooth, things go from bad to worse. And Mrs. Potiphar makes up lies about him to her husband, and Joseph ends up in prison. And this, I think, is the ultimate test of Joseph, because the question here is, will he still have faith? Will he still believe that there's meaning and purpose behind what's happening to him? And I think when a lot of Christians give in to despair, comes in that moment when they feel like my life hasn't turned out the way that I planned it to and there's no meaning, there's no purpose behind what it is that I'm suffering. Now, there's a wonderful statement by a man by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is a writer and a great thinker about spiritual life issues. And um, I want you to hear what it is that Dallas says. So Steve, would you read for us these words from Dallas Willard? 
I meet many faithful Christians who, in spite of their faith, are deeply disappointed in how their lives have turned out. Sometimes it is simply a matter of how they experience aging, which they take to mean they no longer have a future. But often, due to circumstances or wrongful decisions and actions by others, what they had hoped to accomplish in life, they did not. They painfully puzzle over what they may have done wrong or whether God has really been with them. There'll be times when you get real disappointed with how things turn out. And the one belief that will sustain you is God is behind this and he can use it to bring about good that you don't even know. And he did for Joseph in amazing ways. Years ago, my wife and I were at a camp and she wanted me to go for a ride on a horse. My wife loves horses and I'm not a big horse guy. We went on a, like a trail ride, but she said that didn't count because it was too tame. <laughs> so the next day, uh, these college kids who worked at this camp were going to take the herd of horses out. And she said, you need to ride on one of the horses with these guys out to the pasture and come back. It's about a mile out and back. So I said, all right. And they gave me a horse. You know how generally horses get named for their most prominent characteristic? <laughs> and I was hoping to get a horse named Valium or you know, something like that. Uh, my horse's name was Reverse <laughs> because of this odd tendency that when you pulled on his reins, he actually went backwards instead of just stopping. So we all took out early in the morning, took the horses to pasture. That part went fine. We started back in, and then one of the kids decided they wanted to race. So all of their horses, uh, there were five of them, all of their horses just took off as fast as they could. Well, reverse instinctively, inevitably, took off as fast as he could go. And of course, I instinctively pulled on the reins as hard as I could. So reverse reared up on his back two legs, oh. uh, like in the Lone Ranger, and then, and then took off like a bat out of a cannon. And um, I passed four of the five kids. I thought I was going to die. I thought this is how my life is going to end, riding this horse. But I didn't die. And the strangest thing happened. By the time I got back to the camp, I realized this is one of the most exhilarating experiences I have ever had in my life. Anytime you say yes to Christ and get out of the boat, what happened to Peter will happen to you. You'll notice the wind. You will find obstacles. Don't feel betrayed by God when it happens. It is inevitable. But the same Jesus who was strong enough to take care of Peter in the water, the same God who was with Joseph when he was in the depths of prison, that same God will be with you and me. It's worth the ride. It's worth the ride. It's good stuff, isn't it? It really is. You know, I think the point that he drove home there with Joseph's story is that Joseph's suffering had meaning. Everything that Joseph went through had meaning. And in saying yes to God, and in the story of Joseph, he, he instinctively and, and audibly knows that God is with him. But in saying yes to him, he had the exhilaration of being close to God and moving through life and all of its struggles and travails as the life that God had planned for him, instead of looking at it as all these things that got messed up. Did Joseph have fear? We don't really read about it, but I'm sure he did. He was human, but he just had enough faith to keep moving forward, and moving forward is always moving toward God. 
Well, there's another story in the Old Testament that deals with that human, very common human theme of fear and moving forward anyway, and that's the story of Joshua. And if you remember the, the plight of the Israelites coming out of imprisonment, um, bondage in Egypt, and Moses leading them toward the promised land, and what should have been about an 11-day trip took 40 years. And as they got close, finally then, what happened to Moses? He died. He wasn't the one to lead them into the promised land after all. And so Joshua was kind of kind of second in command at the time. He was, he was part of the leadership group, but he wasn't really ready for this challenge in human terms. So there's a storyline that goes along with Joshua's experience. Uh, his leader had just died. That's a big deal. This is Moses. His leader has died, and they're not in the promised land yet. The people that are being led hadn't obeyed until now. That's why the 40-year trip, right? They were walking around, not doing, getting stiff-necked and all those things that, that God talks about because as they started out, it was like, yeah, God's providing for us, but now we don't like all that, what he's providing. We want different stuff. I mean, it's very human. We, we all go through this. So Joshua was looking at this situation, and his leaders died, and the people that are now going to be led haven't obeyed up till now. And, and by the way, once he crosses that river, once he crosses the Jordan, there are big bad enemies over there. Well, this sounds like fun, doesn't it? And by the way, at this time of year, the river's at flood stage. So as God starts talking to Joshua about this mission at hand, these are facts. Who's signing up for that assignment? This is true, all true. The flip side is that there's a second storyline of Joshua and crossing the Jordan, and that's that Joshua knew that God was with him. And by the way, Joshua knew that God was with him. Joshua knew that God was with him. And God continued to reinforce his message to Joshua many times, and he said this, be strong and very courageous. He said it a lot. I think Joshua needed to hear it a lot. I think we do too. Here's the story out of Joshua chapter 1. The, the, the book of Joshua starts this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, and all of the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hmm. Those words are familiar, aren't they? Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit a land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. So Joshua's going to go through what he's going to have to go through with a purpose in crossing the Jordan. And what's different between storyline number one and storyline number two? There are two sets of facts 
that are equally true, aren't they? And we have to start to blend them together. And Joshua has to deal with the fact that he's dealing with two completely separate sets of facts and choose where he's going to fix his eyes. So we've all been there. What happens when you fix your eyes on the problem? It's not a rhetorical question. What happens, Pat, when you fix your eyes on your problems? Do they get smaller? They grow, don't they? They take over. You start to spin and, and muddle around, and we've all been there a lot. But when our eyes are fixed on the problem, the problem grows. And when our eyes are fixed on God, does the problem go away? Not necessarily. But there is faith combined into the mix. And this is really the key central question when we talk about growth and do we truly, are we up for this process of growth as Christians, as Christ followers? Where are we going to fix our eyes? Where are we going to fix our eyes? It's the core question. Admiral Jim Stockdale was a um, veteran and a POW in the Vietnam War. And he spent years in a prison in Vietnam in a dark, awful, lonely prison cell. And he was not treated well in any way. And I love this quote from him. And he is a Christ-following man. And he says, you must never confuse faith in prevailing in the end with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of the current reality, whatever they may be. So think about that for a minute. You must never confuse faith in what's going to happen, what, what the big picture is. Am I going to prevail in the end, whatever that means, with having to deal with the fact, and his facts were, were brutal. You can't ignore the realities of the day. You can't completely just put away, put blinders on to be able to fix your eyes on God. You have to deal with what's in front of you. you if you're thrown into the river, you have to swim, right? But the two have to be able to coexist. Hope and truth. Hope is the prevailing in the end piece, and hope is real. There's a name for hope, and his name is Jesus. Our hope is in him, our Savior, the one who came as the Son of God to live and to walk among us, to understand this humanity that we live in and to die in our place for our sins so that we would have a right relationship with God. He is hope. And the truth of the circumstances of today or tomorrow or whatever might come our way have to be blended together so that we can move toward God, fixing our eyes on him but dealing with the realities of the day. That's what growth is all about. That's what maturity in our human sense is all about as well. Well, the story of Joshua as he goes to enter the promised land as, as they cross the Jordan. So Joshua is trusting God in all of this. And we move to chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. And it says, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Wow, I should get like a quarter for that. Whew. Not sure I said any of them right, but um, 
See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. So they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant to start this process of crossing the Jordan. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot into the Jordan, into the river, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Okay, you're sitting there listening to that. What's your first thought? Right. The waters are going to be stopped and stand up in a heap. I have a visual picture of that, of water standing up in a heap, and wow. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, they were going through with it, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them, and now, now the Jordan is at flood stage during, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Now this is important here too because their feet were already in the water. And if the water's at flood stage, think about this. If the water is at flood stage and you're stepping into it, this isn't like wading out in the sand, is it? This is like jumping off the cliff. They were committed. They were committed. And they had to know that what was going to happen would happen. Do you think they were afraid? Of course they were afraid. They just chose to keep their eyes fixed on God. And they stepped into the water. And the water, it, piled up in a heap a great distance away. It had to look like a, like a reverse waterfall kind of thing. It has to be really cool to have seen that. At a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephan, while the water was flowing to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Wow. This is like the parting of the Red Sea part two, right? Where they were able to do this under the power of God, so visible, so tangible, into the promised land. Joshua took on this challenge with purpose. What did he do? I think this, this is instructive for us. He sought God in the entire process. He listened to God when God was speaking to him. He was reassured by God over and over again. The 360 some times that God does say in his word, do not fear. Those words were spoken directly to Joshua. They're spoken directly to all of us through his word over and over and over. And then he acted with purpose and led with clarity. We're going. Here's what's going to happen. Despite all of the fear-creating circumstances, not in the absence of them, but despite them. And he came out dry on the other side, as did everybody else. Dry and into the promised land where they had no more problems, right? Wrong. All sorts of problems, but in the land that God had promised to them. Because in this life, we will have problems. 
So what is God asking of each of us in order to accomplish his purpose and to further the, our transformation, that, that growth process, into becoming more and more like Jesus? Well, he might be asking you to let go of something. He might be asking you to start something. He's certainly asking you to use your gift for a purpose. And you remember last week we talked about that in, in the concept of the video where the, the gentleman prayed for six months for Africa and the amazing things that happened in his own personal life. And if you took on that challenge or if you want to start taking on that challenge, even when you don't even know what you're praying for, but God presses something on your heart to start praying about, and just see what he will do with that. The consequences of that investment of time in your relationship with God and just simply talking to him and sharing your heart, he will show you the answers to your prayers. And then we have to be willing to just go. There is action required in this growth process. Obedience despite the fear is what ultimately equals success, as we can call it. I received a, an email this week. Now, this was in work-related terms, but I just thought it was so perfect for what we were talking about today, and it's a little little writing, a little essay called um, The Deep Water of Doing, interesting correlation to our walking on the water. And again, this is in a work construct, but you can see that with the power of God, this just plays itself out just amazingly. And it's all about that place that we all get into from time to time where we are just spinning. You've ever been in the spin? You understand what it means to just spin in your brain and be stuck around an issue or a problem? Well, the author David Allen says this, thinking can be counterproductive. And you're like, what? At least what some people parade as thinking can be counterproductive. Real thinking is always a good thing, but many people pretend that they are thinking when they are really replaying a tape in their head. Hmm, ever been there? I have. Many times people want them, this, this David Allen is a consultant into companies, they want to give us long involved stories about the task at hand or the issue that they are dealing with. It's as though they're defending a doctoral thesis, going to great lengths to explain every reason why the problem showed up, what it means, and, and why they're still dealing with it. They just want us to know all about their thinking and that they are thinking about it. They seem to feel like if they tell us enough about it, it justifies the space that it's taking up in their mind. Does that ring true with anybody? Wow, it was hitting home for me. We listen attentively, he says, and then we ask one question. What's your next action? And after a slight twitch where the people are thinking, don't you care about all the reasons that my problem is here? They swallow hard and engage in that true decision-making productivity that invariably ensues when they get into the operational reality of things. This is what Jim Stockdale was talking about in Facing the Realities of the Day. The author says, thinking is required, but at a different level. Continually thinking the same way about something, usually in frustration or irritation, is truly avoidance of the problem. Wow, I hadn't thought about it that way. Thinking about what has to happen to move towards resolution, clarity, or completion is highly functional. And we do that one little bite at the time. It's just the next action that needs to be taken. 
well-analyzed stuff is still just stuff. It must be composted into the primary elements of the commitment that you have to make one action at a time until you can get to resolution. In other words, you need to figure out what it means and what you want to do about it. But that kind of thinking generates a pledge to action, and that's risky business. When you start to move on making things actually happen, you confront a subtle but significant angst, like the wind in your face that Peter experienced. What happens in the actions involved may never be what your mind envisioned. It's like stepping off the end of a pier. How deep is that water anyway? But when you make that leap of faith and shift down into action, a weird thing happens. Real creativity and solidity show up in a much greater way than trying to manage things in your head. Putting limitation of physicality into what you're doing and does not constrain your mind, it actually galvanizes it. The water's deep, but there's an ocean of possibility. I loved how this related. This is about taking executive actions on managing projects, but what it's about is also about growth, human growth. And when you put God in the middle of it and you're moving towards his truth in that kind of decision-making, what's the next action that you need to take toward resolving that issue or toward your preferred future? it makes the journey so much more productive, one step at a time. God is with you. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father God, we, we just stand on that truth, that you are with us and that we need not fear. Lord, there are circumstances in this life that, that cause us to face fear. We would love for you to take all of that away, but that is not the human experience that we know. And so, Lord, be with us. Show us, guide us, and cause us to move forward toward you despite the fear, despite the wind. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you all for being here. And that was a fantastic message. They were just really connected to the heart and to the faith and, and then moving forward, which, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I need to uh, look at those things. But it's, it's fantastic to see you all this morning. Good morning. I love you guys. And uh, it was a little humid in here today, but just, just don't get too close to me on the way out. All right. I love you. One more song.
Love you all. Have a great week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.